The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only. They're not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on the lab report, we're going to talk about methane. More stuff the bacteria in your gut make. They're really busy. Busy poisoning you with their debauchery. Wow. You heard me. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. You're a little congested in that disclaimer, Michael. Summer colds are the worst. <laughs> Summer colds, year-round colds. <laughs> For you. All the cold. Every cold. Yes. Uh, I've had them all. You've had them all. Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. How uh, are you today? I'm playing hurt, but I'm doing great. Patty Devers, crushing it, living my best life. No <laughs> sore throat. Way, to, totally way to bring you for the team. I love that. I was on vacation last week, and you knew mm -hmm. I was going to get sick in a matter of days, and I sure did. It has nothing to do with vacation. This is like a normal Thursday for you. True with that. children. True that. Continually sick. I'm questioning your immune system and its integrity. I'm questioning my immune system and its integrity. <laughs> I'm questioning my ability to even say the word integrity at this point. You did well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, this is a podcast. It's called The Lab Report. Mm -hmm. You found your way here. Yeah. Congratulations for doing so. Aww. It's where we talk about things like specialty lab testing, functional medicine, integrative therapeutics, and the like. Some banter here and there, but mostly science stuff, but some banter, but some silly stuff and some banter and some science stuff. That sounds like a lot of stuff. If you Look, like, we do it all. <laughs> and we do it in like 20-ish, 20 to 30 minutes. Correct. Correct. We're pretty efficient. Drop in knowledge. But if you like any of that stuff that Michael just outlined, hopefully you would have gone to iTunes or Spotify, perhaps subscribe to this quirky little show, maybe rate, review. We like the written reviews. Follow us along there. Mm. And... Furthermore, if they have more feedback that they'd like to talk to us about, what can they do, sir? You can send your feedback to podcast at gdx.net. Make it clever. If it's clever enough, we might talk about you. Ooh. Talk about you on there. You can also even just send your MP3s of the disclaimer if you want to get on here, too. Please. That's so cool. Just You might it. have noticed. Yeah. Record it to your iPhone. Send We've it to us at podcast gdx.net. A couple fans that's that right. have done their, uh, done their due diligence. So uh, that being said, you mentioned something about reviews. It's been a while since we read a review. Should we read a review? Um, I think we should. Well, what do you mean? Good review or a bad review? I don't know. We've got both on there. Maybe one of each. All right, let's do it. All right, I'm going to kick it up. I got something for you. I'm going to kick it up a notch. Uh-oh. Glory. And. Shade. All right, what do we got over there, Patty? Well, I'd like to take Glory because, you know, shade, I don't do well with shade because I need therapy for things like that. But All right. I'm, I'm going to take Glory. Let's hear the Glory. <laughs> this is from someone called Lab Report Fan, hey, which is cool. That's a good start. That's right. And the title is Fun and Informative! Exclamation point. Five stars. Wow, five stars. I know. That's better than the two stars. That's right. Great for lay people trying to understand health and wellness. Excellent chemistry between Patty and Michael. Oh. Laughing and learning! Exclamation point. Oh, that's, that's good, good. Glory. We love the lay people. <laughs> we do. <laughs> but you know what that brings? Uh, Some uh, shade. Hang on to your hat, Patty, because uh -oh. I've got a one no. star that oh, starts with... No. Good idea, poor execution. Uh. I love the concept uh -huh. of this podcast. Okay. Unfortunately. Wait, what's... Should that not say unfortunately? I... Just reading it, Patty. Okay. I'm just reading. Go ahead. 
Unfortunately, the broadcasters <laughs> appear to be more interested in chit-chatting and filling what? us in about their personal lives. It condenses five minutes of good info into 30 to 60 minutes. Wow. The really strange thing is they appear to be proud of this fact. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> hey, Who wrote that? Are you proud of that fact? <laughs> Who wrote that? Uh, that was uh, Mabutu Sese Seku. Wait a minute. Apologies for any mispronunciation there, Mobutu. Do, do you know who that is? I don't. I have no idea who that Mobutu is. Mobutu Seseko was the president of Zaire, formerly known as the Democratic Republic of Congo, who happened to have died in 1997. So wow. I'm taking how, this how? one of two ways. <laughs> okay. Number one, he was super famous, so we should be grateful. Yeah, and no, you'd num- love to get yeah. feedback from somebody like him. Right. Number two, he's obviously listening from the dead, so yeah, he well, felt I compelled mean, to come back and give us one star. When you're living the afterlife, you don't want to be wasting time on a poor Fair. executed, poorly executed podcast, That's especially when, unfortunately, it's <laughs> you've got eternity, <laughs> nothing but eternity left. So That's a good point. Michael. Is that word in the dictionary? No, it is not, <laughs> Oliver. It is not. We should probably get to it, right? What are you on about? Let's get to some content. Patty, what are we talking about? Well, you know, we're always talking about the microbiome and how important all of the, the microbiome is for your not only gut health, but your systemic health. And one of the things that the microbiome makes is a gas called methane. So I thought we'd kind of focus on methane and why we care. Okay, if you've listened to this podcast, you should know by now, because we talk about it all the time, that the bacteria, or the microbiome, like you said, Mm -hmm. not just the bacteria, but the microbiome makes a bunch of stuff. It does. It makes some harmful products, it makes some beneficial products, it makes gases, it makes neurotransmitters. We've been through a ton of that stuff. So if you've got more interest on the non-methane stuff that the microbiome makes, go back and look to some of our older episodes. That being said, one of the things our microbiome makes is gases. That shouldn't be... Too surprising to the mm-hmm. anyone who's lived a physiologic existence. <laughs> um, and so what, how do the gases get produced? Well, so the microbiome ferments different products that you are consuming. Um, and in part doing so, it produces gases like hydrogen, methane, hydrogen sulfide, nitrogen, carbon dioxide, probably many more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but those are the big players. And, and each of those, not just are gas, but they can have some degree of physiologic effect as well. All true, but in this episode, we're going to just focus on methane that's made in your microbiome. And when we make methane in the microbiome, it's called methanogenesis, mm. which makes sense. Yeah, genesis of methano. Methane, right. <laughs> but I think an important distinction here is that most of the organisms in your microbiome that make methane are actually called archaea. That's not, not an organism. It is, It's, but it's not a bacteria. So Why is it called archaea? There's a very distinct important distinction to be made here. So archaea are different from bacteria in that archaeas have a cell wall that doesn't contain peptidoglycan and their cell membrane uses linked lipids as opposed to ester links. So the point is, we think of the commensal bacteria in your gut. They're not all bacteria. Some are archaea. And of the archaea, most of them are methanogenic and make methane. So it's an important distinction to think of archaea when we're talking about methane. All right, you're blowing my mind here a little bit, Patty. Because if I think of like the tree, the phylogenetic tree, you've got like plants, Uh animals, fungi, Mm -hmm. bacteria. Um, Archaea is not on there. So like how come archaea is not represented in high school biology class? How come this is the first we're hearing of it? How come it only... I have so many questions about archaea. And then I would think the name suggests that it means very old, right? Like archaic. So like what's going on here? Well, as we're talking about this phylogenetic tree, as you're describing it, we're focusing on single-celled organisms, okay, like a prokaryote. And uh-huh. Of those single-celled organisms, there are three kinds. There's bacteria, 
there's archaea, and then there's eukaryotes. Sure. So of the prokaryotes, single-celled organisms within your body, we often talk about the bacteria throughout your entire GI tract, but there's also archaea there. So I think that's the important distinction. We're still talking about those single-celled organisms in your gut. I mean, I don't want to bog us down here. We don't have to spend any more time on it, but I think they snuck in there because I'm pretty sure so. I'm pretty sure it was just prokaryotes and eukaryotes for like the last. No, they were always there. You just ignored them. Quite likely, and I'm glad that you think about archaea when you think of methane. When I think of methane, I think of cows. And you should. Right, because yeah. we have a lot of production of methane gas from our ruminant am- animals. Am- mm-hmm. Animals. <laughs> them <Really>? too. <laughs> uh, because Unfor- they eat a lot of roughage. And so that can really stimulate mm-hmm. huge productions, plus their GI tracts are quite different than ours right. from the fact that they mostly eat roughage. Um, and some will say that this methane production could even be up to 21 times greater uh, global warming effect f- as compared to CO2 emissions. I don't know how they've done that study or how they've made that comparison, so don't fact check me on that, anyone. <laughs> um, but that's just one of the things that's out there. So, you know, this methane production is is pretty fascinating and and certainly that's one of the reasons why cows get a pretty bad rap it is okay so when we think about these archaea that are in your gi tract they're often called methanogens which again makes sense and there's many different types there's methanobrevibacter smithii there's methanospheris stagmodogdi there's methanos muscococcus blip 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 that's a big one so what these methanogens do methanomasculococcus luminaniasis holy moly correct so these methanogens, they take carbon dioxide and they reduce it to methane using hydrogen as a donor. So they gobble up hydrogen that's available. And it's usually, like I said, this, primarily these archaea and methanogens. But it should also be noted that certain species of Clostridium and Bacteroides can also do this and make methane, but primarily archaea methanogens. Yeah, I think it's fascinating to think about that. You know what I mean? Like, for one, we haven't really been talking a lot about these archaea, you know, I alluded to it tongue-in-cheek, but like we haven't really been spending mm-hmm. a lot of time from a microbiome perspective focusing on them until we realize what they do, which is produce a lot of methane, and they're the main drivers of that. I mean, overwhelmingly, the methane production in the GI tract is from these methanogens, these archaea, rather than other bacteria like Clostridia and the one bacteroides that you mentioned. So, um, But I, th- I think they've come into play more recently, and now they're more known because of the, now we're realizing how important methane is in your GI tract. So what are some of the things that we think about that methane, how does it affect your GI tract? Yeah, so the primary effect that I think of is it slows transit time. Mm-hmm. It directly impacts uh, your transit time by altering the, uh, uh, what is it, the migrating motor complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it leads to constipation. People who have high methane production or, or what we'll get to later, this thing called intestinal methanogen overgrowth, they just tend to have slower transit and constipation. But we're learning more and more, too, that there's other potential effects, which, has, which might be immunologic-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly if there's an overproduction, you're going to get a physical symptom like a bloating just by the mere fact that you're producing more gas. Right, right. And like I said, it's coming into province because of all of the literature that's coming out about methane in your GI tract and all of these diseases that are associated with it. There's some literature to suggest that high methane in the GI tract is associated with obesity, like you said, Michael, constipation, colorectal cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, diverticulosis, etc. But I also know that it's important to realize when we talk about literature, we always come back to that place of these are associative not necessarily causative, mm-hmm. and a lot of that literature needs to still be parsed out. But it is really gaining prominence, and maybe that's why the word archaea is now be- becoming more known than it had in the past. Well, and I think one of the things that can help 
uh, turn this from an association into more of a causal relationship is to have a good mechanism. And I think we're going to get into that a little bit later around a proposed mechanism, uh, trying to put pieces of the puzzle together. But that's going to be what we need to kind of get to these things actually directly impact things like colorectal cancer or they don't. So, and here's the wild thing, right? Because we have these different conditions, most of them GI related. But what happens actually is that the methane that's produced in your GI tract gets systemically absorbed into your bloodstream, just like, you know, a lot of the other things through uh, portal vein and goes back to the liver and gets processed and all that sort of stuff. And then it is 20 to 50% is released through flattest by passing gas. Uh, but the rest of it is systemically absorbed and then breathed out, uh, right? So it goes in your bloodstream, gets metabolized, and then excreted basically through the breath, which is pretty fascinating. Which is why we use breath testing to look for methane exactly. overgrowth. And I think what you just said is a really important point that it's not like because you're so constipated, all this methane is coming up from your colon and coming out your mouth. It that actually would be is, bad. That's a, that would point, be really weird. It's a long way to travel. It does get absorbed systemically and goes to the lung and is then like through your breath. And that's why we use breath testing to look for uh, methanogen overgrowth. And we are used to breath testing to diagnose SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, right? Mm -hmm. We use that a lot. Mm -hmm. But it's also used for... IMO, intestinal methanogen overgrowth, which can reflect not only your small intestine, but also your large intestine. It's really just a way of saying, is your GI tract, your microbiome producing way too much methane that could have clinical implications? That's why breath testing is used. Let me ask you a question. All right. Because a lot of people still use the term uh, methane SIBO or mm -hmm. methane dominant SIBO or mm -hmm. something like that. I mean, do you feel like that's an appropriate term to still be using or because, you know, with like any new term or new diagnosis, there's going to be a transition time. But mm -hmm. um, to a certain extent, it is kind of a form of an overgrowth. I don't think it's an it's an invalid term to be using. What do you think? I, I guess I small intestine yes. is the problem, right? Small intestine is part of the problem. And the other part of is that like if most of what's making methane is archaea and not bacteria, it's a more mm. exact term to use IMO versus as well as the fact that it can reflect large and small intestines. So sure. it's, it's a more exact term. And to your point. A little bit of a technicality. It takes a while for a terminology to come around and we're always making up new ways of saying stuff. But I do agree that IMO is probably a better way and more exact way to say it. Yeah. And most of the production's in the large intestine, right? So That's right. we're not going to say like L I A O because how are you? Do, how do right. you even say that word? <laughs> you can't. I don't know. I'm sure I could, but it would not be good. But so we talked about breath tests as a way to diagnose IMO, Michael. Now you just said methane is predominantly in your large intestine. So we do a, a our flagship stool product here is the GIFX, which reflects mainly your large intestine. So when you're doing a stool test like the GIFX, how might someone be suspicious of methane overgrowth? Uh, well, so a couple things. The two big ones are looking at the actual methanogens on the commensal page. Uh, we're measuring the, the level of Methanobrevibacter smithii. So uh, if you have a high level of that archaea, Methanobrevibacter, mm -hmm. uh, it, you're very likely to have a high production of methane. So that's one big one there. But I think a, a broader sense of the way to evaluate it is on our, um, our kind of information synthesis page where we have this methane dysbiosis score. We, we developed this by looking at about 17, 1800 different profiles where people had done a breath test and a, and a GI effects at the same time. And so we were able to then determine 
what pattern of bacteria produced the highest amount of methane on somebody's breath test? Because they were doing these side by side. So we got a profile of their bacteria. We got their actual methane result from the breath test. And we can just basically draw inferences across all of the biomarkers on the test, not even just the microbiome. I mean, a big part of it is the microbiome findings, but also the other markers on the test can play a role as well. So just by looking at, you know, the commensal page on the GI effects, you can predict perhaps whether or not you might have overgrowth of methane. But what also came out of that data, which we all found interesting here at Genova, is that when your methane dysbiosis score was elevated, there was a higher likelihood that your EPX would be below detectable limits or your eosinophil protein X, as well as your fecal secretory IgA, which felt like a statistically lower immune response. Mm. But in addition, there was also found to be a higher rate of blastocystis, um, yeah. in those patients, as well as e-histolytica, which is also fascinating. And it stopped us in our tracks to say why. So what do you think is the reason for that, Michael? No, it's just fascinating, right? So the higher the methane production, just to reiterate what you're saying, the higher the methane production, the uh, the greater the frequency of infection of f- certain parasites. So mm-hmm. there was sort of a dampened immune response to, to what you just said. And um, I think there's a potential connection between that and some of the other things that methane causes symptomatically. And all that I mean is that methane essentially slows transit time, right? And Mm -hmm. one of the main ways that it does that is it lowers postprandial serotonin production. Um, And so serotonin production is one of the main mediators for peristalsis in the GI tract. You have more production of serotonin in the GI tract, you're going to have more rapid transit time, more loose stool, more diarrhea vice versa. If you have lack of it, you're going to have more constipation. Not only does serotonin in the gut uh, help with peristalsis and transit time, but it also is a regulator of the immune system. It's thought to uh, be a main mediator for intestinal permeability, as well as recruitment of eosinophils and neutrophils, B cell regulators, and dendritic cells. So serotonin has this incredible overlap between transit time and immune recruitment. So if you have a lower serotonin production in the GI tract, then you're going to have lower immune recruitment from like those things I just mentioned, B cells, neutrophils, eosinophils, which puts you at risk for um, a higher likelihood of infection. That's, yeah. that's kind of the, the main it's connecting point. It's fascinating. And methane does decrease postprandial serotonin. And so we've just said, okay, methane's important. It causes all of these specific problems are associated with all these conditions. We know that we can measure it in breath testing to reflect small and large intestine. You just talked about the ways that we can evaluate for methane overgrowth on the GI effects, which is by looking at methanobrevibacter smithii, the methane dysbiosis score. But we also have another profile that you can do to look at how you're producing methane. Yeah, it's called the microbiomics. Uh, It's a whole genome sequencing approach to the microbiome, so it doesn't just look at the one archaea that we have on the GFX. It looks at basically 95-plus percent of the entire microbiome. So it has a more of a thorough approach and ability to look at all of the different organisms that might produce methane. And based on the relative abundance of those organisms that are methane producers, then you basically end up with an algorithmic score of, you know, the, the potential to produce methane. Now, does that mean it's going to always 100% line up with a, a methane breath test? Who knows? We haven't done that side-by-side study, but it makes sense. It's sort of like a where there's smoke, there's fire approach. If you've got a ton amount of methane producers, you're probably making a lot of methane. Right. All right, you sold me, Michael. Methane's important. 
Methane does a lot of stuff. It's associated with a lot of various diseases. It's important. We know how to measure it now. Three different ways. The question then becomes, okay, great. Now what do I do about it? Let's just hypothetically say I did a GIFX. I have a high methane score, methane dysbiosis score. I do a breath test, high methane. What do I do? Because if someone is symptomatic, like they're constipated or they have obesity, there are things that are very highly associated with methane overgrowth. Where do I start? What do I do? Well, think about it kind of inputs and outputs is the the way kind of macrocosmically I'd, I'd say to think about it. And by that, I mean, you know that the methane is coming from certain organisms in the gut. And they're doing that in response to what you're feeding it. So there's there's two kind of approaches The the input part of it would be the diet. And what are you doing to, what are you providing for those organisms that could be feeding and driving the production? Um, And so that's where you get into things like um, the low FODMAP diet, which is basically trying to starve out many of the organisms that might be responsible for producing a lot of it. Um, And then the output part of it is like, well, you can also just go in there and start eliminating the, the bacteria or the organisms that could be responsible for driving this. Now, that's not a super clean approach. Um, people use rifaximin, which is not systemically absorbed. It's an antibiotic um, that seems to have a pretty darn good action of, of limiting any sort of bacterial overgrowth. Um, but again, it's not super selective. It's not very specific. It's going to kind of have a dampening effect on the entire microbiome um, and to try and limit, you know, the, the overall population of organisms. And rifaximin itself is more often used in hydrogen overgrowth. That's right. But when you're dealing with methane, it can a little bit be a little bit trickier to treat and eradicate if that's your bent. So many people add a second agent. So what it comes down to often is rifaximin and adding something like neomycin. But again, not everyone wants to go guns ablazing with prescriptive antibiotics. So there's a lot of different herbal approaches as well. There are. There's herbal approaches. It's the same idea, right? Whether it's an herb or an antibiotic is still an antimicrobial, still using it to limit the populations. Uh, things like berberine is actually not a true antimicrobial in the, in the true sense of the word. It's actually more of a gut microbiome modulator. So I think that might be interesting. People also use things like uh, uh, peristaltic agents. What do you call that? Prokinetics um, to, to, to help stimulate serotonin production and move things along. But from a perspective of herbs that kill things in your microbiome, you think of your heavy essential oils. You think of your pasta herbs, right? Oregano, garlic, garlic, thyme, Mm -hmm. rosemary. Mm -hmm. All those things are going to have a a huge profound impact on on limiting the the growth of the organisms in the microbiome. Okay, okay. Methane is important. Mm. Yet again, we point out the microbiome is important, not only for gut health, but systemic health. And I think we learned a lot about methane today. But... I we did good. I, I do think we did good. There's still probably more to cover, and still more is being uncovered every single day. But oh, I, I don't think this is the last question that we have about methane. Oh, you mean there's something else? Mm-hmm. Travis, where are you? You on vacation? Where's my submarine? What time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you know what time it is. Question of the day, question of the day, question of the day, question of the day. Well done. Thanks. Where is Travis? I honestly, I have no idea. Holiday? I I didn't ask. I don't know. Okay. I I hardly noticed that he's gone. (laughs) Well, well, this is the question of the day, Michael Chapman, that I'm going to ask to you. And it's something that we've 
noodled on and debated here in the medical affairs department at Genova, but it still deserves to be asked. We have spent this entire episode talking about the importance of methane and why there's concern when it's elevated. But looking at the GI effects and looking at the commensal bacteria page, we do know that there is a percentage of a healthy cohort of people who do not even have methanobrevibacter mm. smithii. So yeah, my, a large percentage. Right. And yeah. so my question is, is it bad to be low? Like if you don't have a lot of methane, if you have low methane, could that be bad? I don't know. <laughs> but here's what I would say. So <laughs> we found some interesting things in connection with this methane dysbiosis score and methane production. And one of them is that it seemed to be that there was an inverse relationship between that score and the inflammation-associated dysbiosis score, hmm. which is really uh, a prediction on somebody's capacity or likelihood to create inflammation in the gut. And we know that a lot of that seemed to be driven by the hydrogen uh, within someone's gut because we actually were working on developing a hydrogen score too, but it ended up looking almost exactly like that inflammatory score. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like, okay, hydrogen is probably causing quite a bit of this. And what's more, where does methane come from? Mm, gobbles up hydrogen. It comes from hydrogen, right? Yeah. So I, I think it's one of those things, you know, if we're being a little bit speculative, which you know I like to do. I do. Um, that there's the sliding scale, right? There's always kind of a Goldilocks zone. And with this, I would say, given its relationships to serotonin, um, there probably you're, there probably is a certain degree that you're going to want to have on board because uh, there very well could be somewhat of an anti-inflammatory effect to having some methane around. So it's kind of like one of those things, everything in its right place. Sure. If your microbiome is imbalanced, you're going to have some archaea there um, and they're going to be doing their job. You just don't want it to be too out of whack. All right, well, that's all well and good, but let's just say someone has a methane score of zero, they have mm. no methanobrevibacter on their GI effects, you do a microbiomics and the potential to create methane is non-detectable. And you're saying this probably should be on a sliding scale. Are you really going to go and intervene and try to incite methane production? What do you do? I don't know. I mean, cows make methane. Why don't you go eat a bunch of cows, <laughs> right? I mean, unfortunately for the cows. How unfortunate, poor cows. Next time on The Lab Report, Dr. Elizabeth Raskin. Award-winning colorectal surgeon, genius, and fan of the show. And she's done the Boston Marathon like I a mean, zillion times. I mean, come on! She's gotten better every time. Yikes. Get out of here. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. So you're going to beatbox through the end credits every time now? Did you record that? No, I didn't record that. You just no. did that for me? Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> at-home show. <laughs> it reminds me of Keely from Ted Lasso mm -hmm. and Ted Lasso's beatboxing and doing Bismarcky in front of her. And right. she, she says, I never know how to react when a grown man beatboxes in front of me. Of course. Yeah. My kids give me that same look, you know. <laughs> they should. I'm not cool anymore. <laughs>